you're not going to say promote veganism and then sell a steak yeah. on your Instagram. It's not something you're going to do. So if you need to go sustainable, you have to do it fully and ha hands-on, especially because I have an influence. Yeah. I want to do it hands-on and say, like, give people the resources and teach them about it. And actually give them information as well. Yeah. And you can still keep your style Yeah. and shop sustainably. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr. A little bit later on, we're going to be joined by the founders of Body and Soul because summer is finally coming, thank God. But first, I'm delighted to welcome my guest this week to studio, YouTuber and Instagram star Keila Moncrief is here, as well as podcaster Molly Parsons. Ladies, Ooh. you're very welcome to the show. <laughs> I swear to God, lads, I was meant to ask you before what do you want me to introduce you as? And then I yeah. just kind of forgot about it and I just went for it. So were those no, descriptions okay? Good. No, that's good. I like to see what people interpret me as anyway. Yeah, so, it's nice it's different. I get a different reaction every time. So people I went... like, what are you? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, went with... <laughs> I went to a YouTuber and Instagram star. Is that all right? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I have a star. <laughs> Shining star in the, in the darkness. Like. <laughs> Podcaster, Molly. Yeah, okay I that? like that because... Um, you're a star too, though. <laughs> I'm a star. Pretty little star. Yeah, like I was when you didn't call me star, it was like she's gone. Yeah. She's cancelled. So in our six words or less game, Molly's first word, star. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play the game, okay? So every week we ask our guests to play six words or less, and it's just in case any of our readers or listeners or viewers of the show don't know who you are. So you have to describe yourself in six words or less, and maybe we'll go to Keelan first. Yeah, Oh my Go god, on. you're so relieved. Go on. Okay. Um, enthusiastic, happy, uh, caring, talkative. Um, how many words is that? It's four. <laughs> Math, not good at maths. <laughs> Obviously not, because that's a few words. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, that was it, like eight words. <laughs> friendly um, and... Um, ambitious. Amazing. Oh, they're lovely words. All ten of them. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, six words or less? Okay, I go for um, star quality, mainly. And then I would say um, <laughs> determined, uh, curious, welcoming, uh, awkward. But, like, I'm, I'm not awkward, like, I won't look you in the eye. I'm just like, I say things and then I retract them like all the time, don't I? <laughs> yes, yeah. all the time. <laughs> and then, um, mm, lovely. <laughs> yeah, you are lovely. We should, it, we should have done it for each other. Yeah, that oh. would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. You literally looked so panicked there. <laughs> That's what I mean by awkward. Like, dictionary quick. <laughs> like, I've never seen someone struggle with the word lovely so much in my life. You were silent. That's because I was like, oh, I won't rehearse them because it's going to be all natural. And yeah. then I was just and like, it's just like, oh. It's like a broadcaster's worst fear as well, just dead air. <laughs> for three seconds, I was like, she could talk again. Um, lads, obviously you guys kind of seem to have a great rapport, so presumably you know each other. So, are you friends? How do you guys know each other? So, anyway, <laughs> Keelan is my boyfriend's cousin. Oh, stop! So you're related? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh no, we are. We're in-laws. Yeah, we're kind of in-laws <laughs> in a weird way. So, um, yeah, I actually had never heard of you before. I'm so sorry. I'd never heard oh. of Keelan before I went out with Ferdy. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then he was like, oh, "I, I don't know when I first met you, but he was like, oh, she has a YouTube.'" Because um, I'm like obsessed with watching YouTube videos. 
And then I checked you out and you're like such a breath of fresh air. Mm. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to like really um, suck up to this girl and make her my friend. <laughs> make her my friend. <laughs> you had like a, a pre-plan in place to yeah, make yeah. Keelan your friend. Yeah. I, I'm oh, that is determination. determined. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. I love if you just see somebody on the periphery and you're like, do you know what? They're going to be my best friend. <laughs> yeah. And then you just made it happen. Um, so you mentioned YouTube there. So Keelan, obviously uh, you do have a YouTube channel, but it kind of started, I suppose, on Snapchat for you, mm. right? Isn't that how it happened? Yeah, sort of. So um, tell us about that. Um, it was just kind of talking about whatever I wanted. It was so instant and easy to do. But I found that a lot of a younger demographic is on Snapchat. And it's kind of, I would be talking about not inappropriate things, but I wanted to reach a different audience. So yeah. I think if you're editing stuff and you're looking over more for, say, a YouTube channel, you'd be more careful with your words. And also I'd be able to, you know, improve on each time I do it. Yeah. Um, and then I'd want to cover like different sort of topics and to have it because you have it online permanently then. Mm. So you'd just be more careful and um, well, I say well spoke, better yeah. spoken. The thing with Snapchat that I always found interesting because like I deleted mine, um, which I think a lot of people have done yeah, now, to yeah. honestly, it's not necessarily as big as it used to be. But the thing with Snapchat is that if you're developing an audience on Snapchat, because for me anyway, it was literally just my group of friends who would kind of open my stories. And then did you just find that when you were talking about things like those opens just started to grow and grow and grow mm. and without even really realizing it? Because I think with Instagram, there's such a kind of algorithm in place now, like people kind of are following the plan of how to get followers and stuff. I felt like it almost was more organic with Snapchat because nobody knew how it was garnering yeah. attention, you know? And then just coming up to the end before I deleted it, it was like people had to add me as a friend to watch my story because I was never on private. But then when I hit a certain number, it was like you had to just subscribe to me. So right. then it was, I was actually a different account then to okay. Snapchat. So then I just deleted it. And were you nervous about deleting it? Because that's where the kind of big part of your audience was at the beginning or were you just like no do you know what let's go I no, want to do YouTube. No I didn't YouTube. care it was never like a career plan for me yeah. I never actually planned out to, for it to happen so I had no attachment to it. And Molly what about you so I know your podcast it's called Molly's Minutes. Mm -hmm. um, great name I love alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm like so embarrassed when I'm emailing like possible guests. It's Molly from and I'm Molly's like, Minutes. Yeah I'm like oh it sounds so cringy but yeah that alliteration. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to have it. Um, you've described yourself as, to me, not on camera before, but you described yourself in an event that we are both at as a people collector. <laughs> yeah, which oh is... Oh my God, that's so, I've used that term before. Yeah, but it's so ben, good. The, another Didn't girl know the, it was a term. Yeah, yeah no, another girl on the panel was like, that actually sounds like you're a murderer. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, no, it doesn't. I, I have a friend who's like that as well. And I'm I'm just like honoured that she collected me. I'm like, I'm worthy. <laughs> I love the idea of a people collector, but also the fact that you make them come to your home. So like, it's like real <laughs> full scale people collector. I come into my living room, slight <laughs> thing. Um, but when did you have the idea that you kind of wanted to, to do this kind of thing? I mean, let's be honest as well. Like a, a lot of people have podcasts these days it's a very competitive industry so did you wake up one day and say this is what I want to do no, well not really so basically um it actually came from like kind of a dark place but it's so when I was in school I had a really bad um eating disorder and I, wa I wasn't in school mm. basically um but I'm really aware of getting an education like I'm even though I dropped out of college. Um, I'm always like trying to read as much as I can. Like I feel really bad if someone if someone brings something up and I don't know what they're talking about. Okay. So I was like, 
it just, I don't know why even. I would just go onto Channel 4 and I'd try to watch four documentaries a day mm -hmm. um, or just on YouTube or different places. And I just got obsessed with documentaries. And I was like, okay, I want to be Louis through. Like, I just want to be him. I was like, I'm awkward. Um, I feel like I could be the female version or whatever. Um, people are probably watching this like, what? But anyway, <laughs> so then um, I thought, I was looking at courses then when I did my Leaving Cert and thought like film and broadcasting, um, that might be something that could get me into it. But when I was there, I just kind of slipped back to the way I was in school. And it, it's just, it's not healthy for me personally to be in that atmosphere. I don't know why. So I dropped out and I knew that I had to go out and do something by myself. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously podcasts were coming up. But it wasn't that I even wanted to do a podcast and for it to get loads of attention and then to get loads of brand deals and things like that. I just wanted, instead of sending my CV and saying I did film and broadcasting and I have a degree, I wanted to say, oh, I've run this podcast and gotten some amazing guests, spoken about these topics that maybe haven't been spoken about and like say invited onto a few panels yeah um and applied for jobs that way um so that's kind of why I started it and a lot of people now are saying oh my god podcasts are such a trend is that why you decided to do it mm. and it, it's not like I had a following before I started a podcast like I'm not even at like 10,000 followers now yeah um but it's going well for me, so I'm thankful for that. <laughs> I think it, it's fair to say that it is oh, absolutely. a trend. Absolutely. Um, and I think, like, you know, it's kind of like what the blog was 10 years ago, mm. you know? So, like, I remember when I was in college, everybody had a blog, and that was, like, the main thing that you had to do. Like, you can't graduate and go out into the world of journalism without having a blog. And I was just like, oh, that's... I just... I hated blogging. Like, I just didn't want to do it. I would prefer to go and just work and do it my way as opposed to having, like, this come find me at kind of thing. Mm. Um, but that was all the rage, and it was just kind of the way that people were utilising it. And now it definitely seems that broadcasting is kind of the, the thing to do. Um, I'm obviously a fan of them. <laughs> but, like, what do you think about it as a industry, I suppose? I really love... I'm an avid podcast listeners okay. so I really enjoy them but um I haven't asked my people to make one because I suppose it's easier to because you can it's like a multitasking media because yeah. you can do something else while do, like while Absolutely, listening yeah. um but I just find that my voice is really harsh and I love editing so I feel like a podcast is just a lot less editing and I'd be I'm a talker with my hands obviously mm. and I just uh, enjoy visuals more so that's why that's the media that I use for now yeah. but I do enjoy listening to podcasts like obviously Blind Boy is huge mm. but I find his voice very therapeutic whenever I'm listening to it and I'd be really hard like I speak from my throat because I'm a trained singer but yeah. <laughs> I'd be very loud and like um and I like getting dressed up for yeah. someone to watch me. It's that's probably so vain, but I was like, <laughs> I like doing my makeup and dressing yeah. up nice. And yeah. people like it's such a buzz when people are like, "Where'd you get your top?" You know, yeah, but yeah. from a podcast, you you, you can't. You, like I can literally be in my PJs at home, yeah, which just doesn't excite me. This is why we do a show, so it's <laughs> yeah. audio and visual. And then like obviously my dad's a radio presenter, so mm. the two of us just like kind of in competition with each other. It's like I spoke to this person this week, and it's like well, I spoke to this person. It's like well I can do whatever I want because it's not broadcast; it's on, on air. Like so, <laughs> is it really competitive? Is it? And no, it's actually not. Yeah. He's like, you're the type of person that people talk about in my workplace and I have no idea who they're talking about. And I was like, 
Okay, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> oh yeah, that is a compliment. I would say yeah. Um, you said that you were a singer as well. So like in terms of obviously you had kind of the Snapchat thing and then you put that down and now mm. you're a YouTuber and very big on Instagram as well. What was the kind of career path that you were going to do after school? Did you have any kind of career aspirations or what? What was that whole plan? Did you have a plan even? Um, I actually I have a video coming out soon about how I don't agree with the second level education system because okay. I wasn't given a direct route and I don't think I was given enough guidance because I've been in three different colleges and I've seen all the people that are close to me just aren't suited to the system yeah and a lot of people in kind of the what, what the, our line of work like media it's creative creatives yeah. it's apparent that the system is not working mm. so I've been in literally three different colleges I'm now doing a, my major award a girl in my year hasn't even done her leaving cert and we're all going to get a career out of it right. so you actually don't need your leaving cert from it but so I never had a direct career path at all I want to be a voice for people that can't speak up yeah um because I've seen like people really close to me that strug have struggles and there's no one really talking on behalf of them it's more everyone on online is just talking about where to buy your outfits yeah. and it's not really anything helpful for society at all yeah. and that's where I just saw a gap that I wanted to be fill so so I watched one of your videos and um I want to get your insights into this as well Molly because it, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of the industry that you're both in and the industry that I'm in as well and it's basically I think it was titled uh, correct me if I'm wrong but like how to be an influencer in Ireland yeah and basically you kind of go into, I suppose it's your own opinion of what um, influencers are and kind of how they get into it. And what I was struck by, because I'm out of school for so, so long now, that um, I kind of forget that, well, I don't know that people are really looking at influencers as a career path mm. and that's something that they kind of want to be when they grow up or whatever it is. Um, I think there was a poll done in schools, a young, a girl's school. Did you see that? And, or I think it was a primary school. And yeah. like, all of them said, um, nearly all of them said influencers. Yeah. Well, Cent Central St. Martins has a course on how to be a blogger now. Yeah. Wow, yeah. okay. So I found it really interesting because you were saying that it, it, it is not a vocation. That's kind of what your mm. line was. So tell us like why, why you think that or where that kind of came from. Um, it's because it's just promoting materialistic values. And I don't think that's what young people should aspire to be because they're ca if Instagram followers are the new currency, they're mm. basically capitalizing on our insecurities. Yeah. So they're saying you should aspire to have this lifestyle. Um, so if, you're, if you don't have that lifestyle, you're put down for it. And then if you do have it, if you get this, and it doesn't even exist, that's the thing. So they're after this chase of this lifestyle, so they can promote these brands that are, again, capitalizing on us. Because um, peer-to-peer consumerism works better than, you know, advertising, they yeah. found that out. So um, we're just, they're, we're getting used. Like yeah. you would just be getting used by companies. Like, you, like it's not going to make you happy. And, to be fulfilled in life, you need to spend time with people that you love and to make a difference in the world. And selling people products is not making a difference. And, but like, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Do you know, like the industry is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more influencers are, are coming through. And now they're calling them micro-influencers because they might have like a, a slightly smaller, but they still have like great engagement rates and stuff like this. Do you feel like you're being used by, by these people online, these influencers? I don't think people are purposely like purposely aware of um, 
See, it's hard because it's like when people say they don't want to be called influencers, but that is the category that they're in. And yeah. they're voiding the influence that they have on other people. They say, oh, I don't want to imagine that I have an influence on people buying things. And it's like, well, if that's your job, own it. And I think that's amazing that people can do that now. Yeah. But I also think that, as Keelan said, it's... It, it does, we have seen a significant increase in the mental health of particularly young girls, mm. thinking that these, th this Instagram grid is real life, that these people don't have any struggles, that they're going to all these really amazing events. And that is, that's amazing. Like some people, that's their, that's their um, peak of success for them. That's their aspirations. But it's also really unhealthy for the mindset of the generation that grew up with it. Yeah. Um, we're being like on a space that we we choose to follow people, but it's like we're being kind of given masses and masses of advertising through people we see as, as Keelan said, our peers. Yeah. So we don't see it as ad advertising. So it's, it's, I don't know, like I see it as it can be quite, and I know myself, like I used to, when when I had um, an eating disorder, all I would do all day is look at these girls in their perfect clothes and their perfect bodies, mm. having their perfect life. And I just want to be them. And yeah. that is the effect, unfortunately, that it can have. And I think when people don't acknowledge um, the influence that they do have, it's even unhealthier, mm. would you say? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I think it's amazing that people can do this for a career, but I also think that there needs to be a responsibility taken. Do you think it would be better, Keelan, if um, they weren't there? If this didn't come to be a category of a profession? It's a tough question. Yeah, that is a tough one. I was trying to think, influencers. I just wish that um, there was a law that companies couldn't hire these people to advertise. Yeah. Or like they wouldn't accept it. Like, what do you think about kids in general wanting to live this lifestyle? Because it's like, it's the new, celebrity isn't it like mm. it's the new version of what fame is and here's the kicker you don't actually need a huge amount of talent in order to do it some would say you need to look a certain way or you need to position yourself a certain way but like it's not like back in the day when you had to go and like audition for pop stars you know what I mean like mm. to become famous Keelan what do you think about the fact that maybe a lot of these kids who are like I want to be an influencer it's actually they just they kind of want to be famous don't they yeah is the drive for fame. Because they think that if they get these things, so if they get the one, two, three items, they'll be happy. Yeah. Because you never see an influencer like put up a picture of their mum and be like, look what I got today in the shop. You yeah. know what I mean? When actually, in fact, that's making them happy. That's what brings them happiness. So people experiences. And then it's distraught. And now online, it's just, well, you need things to make you happy, yeah. which isn't true because obviously all these influencers are struggling. They come out about it all the time. Yeah. And it's like, well, where is the line? There's a part of me that almost thinks that they should kind of, oh, this is going to sound really bad. I don't know whether I should say this, but like almost stay in their lane a little bit. Like if they are walking advertisements, shouldn't they be walking advertisements and kind of just be that? Like I find it affronting when I'm getting not only like buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, but also uh, in the middle of all this, buy this, buy this, buy this, like I've had a shitty day. I'm kind of like a confused consumer in that kind of way. That's why the whole thing is confusing. Like I do really appreciate when people come out with their struggles personally. Yeah. But I think that's why it's such, it, it's sometimes I actually just have to put my phone down because it, it messes with your mind. You don't know who to, and see, I, I don't want to say I don't appreciate when people do that because I'm a huge advocate for speaking out. Yeah. But 
I also just feel like that's why it's such like a constant contradiction mm. and that's why like you see a lot of influencers saying you know if someone puts up something that says hashtag ad and you really enjoy their content make sure to like it and stuff like that and then you're like I, I don't know yeah it's, it's all very very confusing it is it's like it's a and it's a huge amount of information to kind of take yeah. in as well um and I have to say like I've had a lot of influencers on the show and they do they do work hard oh they work so hard I mean Keelan you have like what is it 14,000 followers yeah. on Instagram over that yeah so do you get like no big deal <laughs> um I'm coming up close behind you now and uh, no not really <laughs> Not at all. Do you get approached a lot by brands to do collaborations or is that something or is it because maybe you create these videos that you don't get approached that much or? No, see the thing is they don't actually do their research on whoever they're asking to collaborate with. So I get like two emails a day about getting sent free stuff. Stop. So and they don't yeah. even know who you are. No, absolutely not. Sometimes they say hello influencer at the yeah, top yeah. of the... Yeah, or they say hello Kimon. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I mean, I, I thought what was interesting about that video as well is that you said that, like, you know, it's important when people are bringing something substantial to the online community because mm. that's, like, I think what a lot of people are trying to do now. But if you were to pick out a few bloggers or influencers even that you think are making a real mark, who are they? Who are the people that you follow that you think are kind of, you know, they're, they're ticking that box in terms of what they're doing with their content? Um, so Molly, obviously. Yes, Molly. I was like, if you don't take me, no, <laughs> obviously, because Molly brings like a different, a different type of person yeah. from all different walks of life. So it's all informational, and it's obviously aesthetic because Molly has great style. Because people like to look at something nice yeah, as well. Absolutely. And then also your laugh is so adorable. <laughs> I know, yeah, I <laughs> so it's, it's nice to listen to. And then also, I follow another girl who's in my school, and she has a podcast as well. But like, she's so small. Um, it's called I think it's called A Little Gale Asks, and she just oh my god, I love her. She just yeah, gives tips. Great name. But see, I text her and I'm like, I know someone who's suffering from anxiety. How can I approach that person? Mm. Because that's something that's not brought. It's uh, because the influencer world is very, you know, um, what's you that word? Say it. Um, just obsessed. Self-obsessed. Yeah. Sorry. Narcissistic. Narcissistic. Mm. There we go. And they talk about their struggles, which obviously I respect because it's hard to come out and speak absolutely. about it. And it's destigmatizing it yeah. and making it normalized to talk about your struggles. But the thing is, they're not giving you the solution. Right. So they're just talking about it. And when I found, I put up a poll on my Insta story and I said, has a blogger ever helped you from coming out from their struggles? Yeah. And what people would reply, a lot of people just said, it made me realize that I was struggling too, right, which I okay. don't know is a positive or negative. And then also the other thing they were saying was, it was making them feel less alone, but no one had said that they felt better after, like that it helped them deal with it. So a little girl asks what she does yeah. is she gives tips on how you can approach someone else who's suffering yeah. and then also how to help yourself, wow. which isn't online. Yeah. No one does. They just speak about their own issues to relate to their followers. Yeah, I mean, I and I suppose if you're going to relate to your followers like that, you, ha you have to back it up, yeah. don't you? Like yeah. Because it's... That's the thing that I kind of, that sometimes sits uncomfortably with me, that you're opening the door for a lot of people to come to you with problems. And then if you're not like, for whatever reason, like I know that the DMs that come in, like they, they must get thousands on a daily basis. If they're not in a position to actually give any kind of real help, or if they're not in a position to send them to the place that they need real help, because people could get in touch with them and have serious problems, you yeah. know? And that's why I think that it's it's dangerous at times in terms of the responsibility that these influencers actually do have over their followers. Sometimes it's like, it's screaming into the, the very void that creates these issues in the per first place. So it's yeah. like, 
a catch-22 of like an endless cycle. And I think that's why it does require a change. It's because like people's mental health is getting worse. People are getting more anxious. People are becoming more materialistic. And then that's being spoken about on Instagram. So it's just like, yeah, what? I, know, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about fashion. I'm excited. But uh, first off, we're going to take a quick break. So earlier in the week, I was joined by Avril Stanley and Jenny Wren, the women behind Body and Soul, the music and arts festival, which is this summer turning 10 years old, which I can't believe. So take a listen. So the last few days, it has been sunny. It's still been absolutely Baltic, but of course, because of the weather, everybody is talking about one thing, and that is summer. And then everybody is, of course, talking about festivals. So I can't actually believe that I'm saying this, but Body and Soul, the Music and Arts Festival, is 10 years old this year. And I'm joined now in studio by the two women behind the festival. Founding director Avril Stanley and music booker Jenny Wren are with me. So, ladies, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Thank Good morning. you so much for coming in. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ten blissful years. Ten blissful years, absolutely. So we're going to talk about that a little bit because obviously ten years is a momentous occasion for any festival. Um, but first I want to talk about the two of you and how Body and Soul kind of came about in the first place. So you guys are friends, obviously, and you were friends before you started Body and Soul, right? Uh, we met in the schoolyard um, in, 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 in Galway. Yeah. Jenny and I have been school friends since we were nine. Wow, so way back. We should have worn our confirmation outfits. <laughs> I should have at least brought pictures. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't fit into mine anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so we know another since we were nine years of age and we became best friends. And Jenny was just always a little bit ahead of the curve. She was always a bit cooler than me and everybody else in the class and loved music, had older sisters and brothers. Yeah. And, and because of that, she, she just was a slightly ahead of the curve of the rest of us who were, you know, into our whams and our Nick Kershaws. Oh. Jenny was into her Nick Caves and her, you know, I don't know, Kate Bush's. Yeah, so there was definitely that kind of early instinct of music that was a love for you, Jenny, from an early Absolutely, age. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm 10 years behind the, the next sibling in my family. Mm. Um, so I was definitely exposed to lots of fantastic music. And luckily for me, my, uh, my brothers and sisters had um, great taste. So yeah, I was listening to, I remember playing um, Pink Floyd, The Wall, when I didn't know how to work a record player and yeah. scratching it and Nicola and Alison killing each other <laughs> because they thought one or the other had scratched it, but it was me, but I was too young to have. Um, so yeah, I had access to great music from very early on. So that certainly um, was, um, which, which was why I was a little bit ahead of the curve uh, in the schoolyard. I always wanted to be like that. Like I always wanted to be really, really into music, but I never was. I think it's something that you're kind of, just drawn to from a very early age. Like you so. can't you can't learn it. Like I remember no. sometimes I would work for different radio stations and I would adapt to the music that that station would play. So for a little while I was like, oh my God, I'm amazing at this type of music. And then I would just forget it and I would move on to the next. Yeah, but it's definitely something that's in you. Yeah. You can't force it. Yeah. You know, you can't force it. I was also into, I studied music. I played piano and I, I studied um, music as a subject at school. So classical music, yeah. you know, I could oscillate from Bach to, you know, to, to Pink Floyd. So yeah, it was not, it's not something you can force. It's either Absolutely. inherent or, you know, yeah. a mild thing you're into. Yeah. Mm. So tell me about your respective careers and what were you guys doing separately before you came together for Body and Soul, Avril? Um, I was, um, I left Ireland when I was uh, 20. Mm -hmm. um, I had got my honours degree from UCC in Cork um, and uh, took, took flight basically and I left Ireland 
when I was 20 and I didn't come back until I was 32. So over that period of time, I traveled a lot and I worked in various different countries. Um, and I started to research and check out uh, festivals around the world and different rites of passage and the ways in which different cultures celebrated their traditions. Um, and that led me naturally to um, hosting, uh, putting on our first party, which was in Yosemite National Park in America with a couple of Irish friends. We'd just been to Burning Man and felt incredibly inspired and just yeah. really wanted to be part of that movement. And so um, that just created an opportunity to put on our own event, which we did. And that started in California and San Francisco and slowly winded its way from there through to the UK, where we created Body and Soul and grew that within a festival called The Big Chill. And then we got invited by John Reynolds to come over to Ireland and bring Body and Soul to the Electric Picnic. And then from there over time, it, our intention with the Electric Picnic was to always create a festival within their festival. Yeah. And then in time to take that out. So in 2010, that just naturally organically led to taking Body and Soul out to Balnock Castle as a standalone festival. And it did always feel like a festival within a festival. Like, because mm. I remember, was it was it 2004 that it was yes. the first like Body and Soul in yeah. Electric Picnic? Yeah. And I remember there being the, the buzz about that. It was like Electric Picnic was, you know, there and a lot of people were kind of, you, you know, like how music festivals were in Ireland back then. Like if we look back to even the Oxygens and stuff, it was a lot of tents, it yeah. was a lot of alcohol and it was a lot of music. And that was basically it. And then I remember being so excited about about this kind of new experience within the festival. It added a different dimension to it and you could mm -hmm. tell that there was kind of a buzz about that. So when you guys wanted to, to move it out onto its own thing, did you, obviously it sounds like it was quite organic, mm -hmm. um, but did you both just kind of wake up and go, this is it, now is now the time, 2010? Arvel probably did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trailing behind going, what are we booking now? All yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> There was definitely a moment. I think, uh, you know, in 2010, we were at the we were at the height of the recession in Ireland, yeah. um, and it was a time where it felt it felt quite depressing to be mm. in Ireland at that point in time. A lot of people were losing their jobs, and people were getting into a lot of financial stress and strain. And it, it felt like it was a really important time for Body and Soul to actually take flight at that moment. Um, we've always wanted to pioneer quite a unique festival model that mm. is a little bit different to the norm of what what you find, um, and. It, it, at that moment in time, it felt like we needed to celebrate our culture and we needed to celebrate what, what made us Irish and what made us that little bit different, what set us apart. So Body and Soul was born smack in the middle of the recession intentionally. Yeah. So as to actually kind of grab a light and shine it bright and say, it's a summer solstice weekend, let's put on a festival. It's a really good time to come together and share our stories and our lore and our commonalities and a sense of like-mindedness and throw a really good party because, you know, at the end of the day, life is for living. So that was yeah. the birthing moment right in the middle of that really intense I mean, you, you make it sound like, well, you make it sound kind of easy, but not easy in so much as obviously it's a lot of work. But I'm sure you've seen the documentary, the Fire Festival documentary, which was which was interesting this year, because for the first time, a lot of people who go to festivals and who are amongst that community of people were just like, holy shit, it takes an awful lot to put on a festival. So like, yeah. I just wanted to ask, what was it like that first year when, like you said, it was the summer solstice, let's throw a great party, let's celebrate everything. Like in essence, that sounds absolutely beautiful. But I would say in actual, you know, step by step, day by day, was there any moments where it was just like, oh God, this isn't going to happen? It was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrifying. You know, the banks wouldn't give us any money. Sponsors looked at banks. us as if we were totally crazy. Mm. Um, everybody thought we were mental. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, once you, once you set a date, 
and you put it out there into the, into the world and you yeah. send out a press release to say we're doing this, you can't really pedal back. You know, you've already kind of put your staff on the ground in That's the future it, yeah. and there's a date and that date just gets closer and closer. So, yes, it was terrifying. Um, and we would have had, you know, tiny babies at the time. You yeah. know, I had a nine month old and uh, I don't I know, a, you had, a, I had two, a, yeah. a, a zero and a, and a, and a, and a two, two year, year yeah. old. Um, wow. So, you know, it was a very challenging time. But at the end of the day, people came around us and we built, we'd built a lot of respect through what we'd done with the electric picnic. And mm. we had a lot of amazing people that yeah. wanted to come and collaborate with us at that time. So in a way, as much and all it was daunting, it was also something that people responded to very positively. And we had artists come from Burning Man to come over and join us. Mm. We had various different artists. And I, when I say artists, I mean, we build our own stages, we create our own art. We also book all of the bands. Everything is very much hand done within Body yeah. and Soul so that it's got its own very unique personality because, you know, just to kind of be clear as to what we stand for and what's important. Yeah. So really, and the, the troops galvanized and it was 28 degrees that, that particular weekend. It was like the gods just shone upon us and went, yeah, yeah we're really happy for Thanks. you guys to do this. In terms of, you mentioned there, like booking your own bands and stuff like that. In terms of the music that, that you book for, for Body and Soul, um, and the fact that this was 10 years ago as well, like I feel like the festival industry in, in general has changed and it is changing now in terms of like the onus being put on those big headliners. But like how important was it for you guys to have a really carefully curated um, gig set up in terms of the music that you were booking? Like, I mean, as in, were you ever kind of drawn to like, Jesus, should we just get the Arctic Monkeys in? Like, it'll bring it, it'll bring, it'll bring in the people, like, you know, classic festival band. I mean, I hope you were never drawn to that, but like, did it ever enter your mind? Well, actually, this year. <laughs> just let us know. It's Foo Fighters, isn't it? Seats, body, uh, no. and soul down to the ground. Uh, I mean, you know, I think the one thing that we can, no, no matter what way this ever goes, one thing that we can say about ourselves is that we're always terribly honest and very true to what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I worked in advertising for 15 years or so. So brand, strategy, um, you know, a bit anal on. Um, and then you bleed that into a music, you know, and a, and a high brow, a music high brow. It's kind of like, okay, yeah. you know, th this, I felt we had created a very strong music brand within Electric Picnic. Mm -hmm. um, people people knew our stage as they don't know anything on it, but they always had a good time. Yeah. Uh, and that was very important in my opinion, um, that, that we keep we keep to that. B budget wise, A, we couldn't have gone for Arctic Monkeys. It wouldn't have made sense. Um, I wish I hadn't have said that. <laughs> I wish I had said uh, anyone, anyone else. else. Yeah, no, you know, you know um, there's merit to them. Mm. Um, because Arvold very rightly you know, this was, I suppose, it was pioneering mm. in, in that respect. Every every piece of the festival is so terribly important. So to put the emphasis just on the stage and the bands, yeah. which was mm. historically how things have been done, yeah. well then, you know, as I'd hear Arvel, you know, well, well, then we'd have to lose this and we'd have to lose this. So it was always... It was always very, very careful. Yeah. The, you know, we did bust, bust out the paycheck for Nick Cave because yeah. it... I suppose that's the, the beauty of being an independent festival. You, we sit down and make those decisions mainly based on heart. But when somebody comes along that it just makes sense, it's Nick Cave. Oh, my God, is this ever going to happen again? Yeah. Mm. Let's just do it. Then there's a time to break the rule book. Mm -hmm. And then there's other times where you stick to, you know, you stick very clearly to your budget and you you basically cut your cloth to yeah. fit. But, but everything oscillates um, dependent on... Well, actually, for, for these guys, we need to do this. But how, how does that look across the rest of the bill and across the site? So it is terribly 
um, curated in that way. Yeah. I, I kinda, that's very considered. Considered, Everything's that's the word. Measured. I don't like the word curated anymore. It's yeah. overused. But yeah, it is extremely considered. But yeah. I think it's a, it's about maintaining in integrity as well in yeah. terms of like what it is that you're putting on. Because I saw there like... I think other festivals are starting to really do that a little bit more, but it does seem like you guys were ahead of the curve in, in that We've way. We've been doing it for years. But you've been doing it for years. <laughs> this is the, like I saw Primavera yeah. coming out with a new normal now. Did you see that in Barcelona this year? And they're just calling it the new normal and they're they're kind of doing this anti-indie thing to just say like, we are expanding, we are going to open the realms. And obviously like, there's been different types of music at music festivals for years yeah. now. Like we've mm -hmm. seen, we've seen that happening in, in dribs and drabs. But it, it feels like people are really kind of opening up to it now, rather than like. And yeah. you guys have been doing it for years. I think there's yeah. something about defining your personality within a festival. I mean, we had a vision for what we wanted to create. It wasn't festival by numbers. Have yeah. we got the hot tubs tick? Have we got the sustainability tick? No. It yeah. was like we wanted our festival to be sustainable. We wanted well-being to be at the core of it. We wanted to give a platform to bands that people may never have heard that we thought were amazing live. Mm. Uh, we absolutely were committed to offering artists an opportunity to take art out of galleries and bring them into fields. Um, and so, and equally we wanted our festival to be family friendly we're, um, because we were mothers ourselves. So we yeah. needed to also create the festival we wanted to go to. And, yeah. and that's very much what's always driven us is, what festival do we want to go to? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that taste like? What does that smell like? What's, mm. what's, what's the experience that you have when you cross the threshold of body and soul? And that for us is what the art form of our festival is. It's about the curation of the whole experience that where we create a container for people and we say, come. Yeah. We promise you that in this space there's all sorts of beautiful magic for you to explore but at the end of the day it's down to you what you bring to the party. Yeah. We create the container um, you know, make it what you want to make it, turn it into your home for three days and three nights. And for us, I guess we're coming from that more kind of, maybe maybe it's more female-led, it's hard to say, mm. uh, but it is coming from that place of wanting people to have an experience where they really can, you know, it's in their cells. Yeah. And that's yeah, what they trusting, take away from it. Trusting the audience. <laughs> uh, I used to get a little bit, I suppose, maybe in my marketing life that, you know, you, you kind of speak to people as if they're stupid, mm. you know, and it's like, no, okay, they, they may not know 80% of the bill, but they're going to research it. And also we've built up such a trust between us and, and, and the people that come down that they're going, oh, they're, you know, who, who's goat for God's sake? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but they'll, they'll have a listen in advance, come down and have an amazing experience. Mm. Um, so it is trusting your, yeah, the, the people out there that they're going to research, not like everything, but yeah. they're certainly going to have an experience and, and, and they have the intelligence to taste it. Yeah. Mm. And like, obviously, I mean, I don't want to say the word veterans, but you've been in the business now for 10 years. <laughs> We're veterans. You're veterans, right, of, yeah. of music fest, music and arts festivals. Um, in, across every industry, there's competition, like across every industry. I've, I've yet to talk to people who haven't, you know, not necessarily compared, but are aware of the competition. Like, how do you guys, like, what's the community of of that like within the the music festival industry I'm, I'm interested to know do you have relationships with other like bookers and with other founding directors of festivals and stuff and do you chat and do you compare i would say that uh i mean i feel like we kind of live under a rock most of the yeah. time yeah, <laughs> we're I, not really I part of the industry no. in that okay. way body and soul is very much an expression of, of of something that we want to bring into the irish la landscape so that we pioneer yeah. creatives and artists and and people from all walks of life so in, in a way 
Um, we're, I don't really feel like we're promoters. Right. Okay. You know, we're not out there putting on loads of gigs and loads of festivals. Yeah. We do we do three or four shows a year, and and that's 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 us having a voice within the landscape. So even though I would know many of the promoters mm. and and people that run festivals, we're not really part of that world necessarily. There's a mutual respect there. Yeah. Um, but we're not sitting down chatting to one another or swapping notes or talking about who's booking which acts. Which I I think there's scope for that, and it would be great if there was more of that sense of community where there was a um, there were, where everybody was looking to be of service to the greater whole of what's offered yeah. within the country where we can sit down and look at well we're looking at these acts and we're looking at those acts and instead of us competing against one another that's it, that's but unfortunately the industry generates you kind of pitting against one yeah. another because because of wanting to book certain acts and and there just being a proliferation of events in Ireland right now so that's the that's probably the downside of it that there is a more commonality around sitting down and actually looking for there to be space for everybody to survive and everybody to have an equal voice and opportunity within the Irish landscape. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know. <laughs> um, I speak to lots of people, just not in Ireland. Right. And I don't mean, you know, obviously I speak to lots of people of in course, Ireland as yeah. well, but within within this industry, yeah. we have great connections with France, Belgium, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm, I'm always chatting with people and it's wonderful. Here in Ireland, we would speak with a lot of, um, you know, promoters down the country. Obviously, we know the bookers, but in terms of what we do and how we do it, we have always worked, uh, not not blinkered, but if, if you kind of start looking around too much, then it's, it uh, you, much, you, yeah. I don't know what you, uh, for well, me, you take your eye always, off the ball, you take you your know. eye off, well, what is, what am I doing? What Who do I we? think? What's, yeah. what, what, what's important for us? And yeah. I think one of the best uh, tips I was ever given by a, a really amazing promoter actually was, um, was protect the pearl. You know, stay focused on what it is that's your offering. Stay focused mm -hmm. on what it is that makes you unique and stand out in, a, in an otherwise cluttered environment. And so for that reason, we just we just do our thing, but we, you know, and, and stay focused on that. But there's an openness yeah. at any point in time to collaborate. We love to collaborate. Collaboration yeah. is what sets us alight. Wow, protect yeah. the pearl. That's great the advice. Pearl. Yeah. I'm like pumped to go back <laughs> to the office after this. I'm gonna go back and get so much work done. Um, so tell us then about this year. So 10 years of joy is, is what you're kind of talking about, which is a beautiful term as well, by the way. It just sounds brilliant. It kind of yeah. fills you with that atmosphere already. The sun is shining, everybody's excited. It's going to be shining as well on June yes, 21st. It, it I, can just, I can just feel it, yeah. So what can people expect then who are gonna be heading to Body and Soul this year? Well, from a music perspective, Jenny, we'll pass over to you yeah, on that front. Music-wise, it is very much, it's not going back to our roots per se, but it kind of feels a little bit like we're going back to our roots. Okay. And it was just, you know what, let's let's have a party, along with all the other quiet, beautiful moments where people get to just sit, you know, and watch something very, very pretty. Um, but there is a kind of historical little tilt on it where Kruder and Dorfmeister, um, and we, we did a launch recently, and I kind of had to be honest and say, you know, that, that, that album for me, they're celebrating 25 years, by the way, they, uh, that album, for me really helped me come out of the club scene in mm -hmm. London, which I was very invested in um, <laughs> and kind of, yeah, lurch forward into this, you know, alleged adult life. I was also trying to lead being a creative, you know, um, art director in London. Um, to then Mode Selector, Mode Selector, this is their first album in eight years, although they've toured, they've mm. been around lots, they've gone out as moderate, they've toured as DJs. This is their first album. 
um, in eight years, which is quite phenomenal, actually. And when they first started 20 years ago, they started as a reaction to the political world. Mm. Um, they wanted to go underground and go away from it because of the breakdown in their systems. And now, a bit similar to our own age, they're kind of coming back at it. And it is also a political kind of like, hang on a minute, mm. with right-wing activism going on. This, this is answering that. And then to the newbies, the blaze. Amazing. Yeah. Now, obviously, they're not just, you know, there are more. We have Kate Tempest, somebody yeah. we've looked at for years and years. And she is just, you, you can't put her in one box. She's completely fluid in what she does. Yeah. Her message is amazing. Um, to Tulla Cayley Band, we have, uh, oh, God, who else do we have? Oh, this is it. Yeah, I get so invested in it. And then in that moment, well, I completely well, forget well, who Jenny's I'm talking about. checking out that side of it, I think, I think the thing to say around it, around the music side of it is Princess that... Nokia. There's a piece. <laughs> you can just jump in with, with band names. Yeah, yeah, and obviously all our Irish bands, Talos, Soak, these people are just so immense. And mm. yeah, to, to have them back now with albums and having grown up through yeah. our, our stages as well is everything that we always work for. It's so important. And then, of course, aside from the music element of it, it is very much an arts festival as well. So there will be the onus on sustainability as well as well-being and, and all those kind of things. I love running around. I go to Body and Soul every year, by the way. Big <laughs> fan. Yeah, really? yeah. So I'm really From excited. From the sustainability, I suppose that's one of the things that's really important for us to say. The Us and You campsite is the campsite to go to because yeah. it's a Leave No Trace campsite. And Amazing. it's up at 5,500 people now. So yeah. we're more than, like we're heading into 50% of our audience that are choosing a, a Leave No Trace campsite, which means you unzip your tent in the morning, you look out onto beautiful grass and really sound people. Amazing. Um, but yeah, the art program is phenomenal this year. We've got like, you know, 100 grand's worth of investment in art that's dotted across the festival site. There's hot tubs, there's massage, there's yoga, there's well-being, there's incredible talks from all this, this yeah. family area. There's really great talks around sustainability and well-being with people like Ivor Brown. And there's just wonderful people from all walks of life. And what's lovely about the festival, I, I suppose, is that we are independent. Mm. There are no kind of, you know, secret owners in the background. It's just us. Yeah. So we have the freedom to actually choose whomever we want to come down yeah. and have a voice within the festival. And yeah. that's probably one of the highlights for me is that we have that freedom. Our theme this year is ritual. Amazing. And that's the ritual of pray, play. It's the ritual of, you know, how you festival together. It's how you shape your day. It's whatever personal mixtape you want to create for yourself that gives you your own unique experience. Yeah. Um, and so there's really that sense of just we're encouraging freedom and we're encouraging people to actually have a choice for themselves around what, what, what makes them feel alive and what makes them feel good. And also there's the final piece, I suppose, is around it being a festival with a purpose. Yeah. We believe that festivals offer a platform for people to actually affect change. Yeah. So on one level, we're creating a damn fine party and I think the best party in the country, to be honest. Uh, but separate to that, there's also a place for us to be able to say, hey, let's tackle youth homelessness. Let's take on mental health. Mm. Let's actually, you know, take on certain initi initiatives and have a voice within, yeah. you know, use this opportunity in the festival to galvanize people exactly. and to affect change in a positive way. So there's subtle messaging that happens around that yeah. where we kind of are calling people to calling them to action at the same time saying to them, it's your weekend, do what you want. Yeah. You know, be free. But this be is who here you want to be. You can go and you can engage if you want to be because yeah. it's a choice. Because like obviously we, we mentioned off the cuff there that that documentary and I'd say coming up to the summer now it, it gets hectic and it gets a little bit frantic and it gets very very busy for you guys but at the same time it must be an incredible thing to work on something that everybody is going to to have a good time do you know yes. like when like it that is. must it's be amazing. something you keep in, in your head if you're ever getting a bit like bogged down by work or something you are working on something that come June 21st everyone's going to wake up that morning and go 
this is the weekend. I think like, it's pretty impressive. That for me really happens on site. Yeah. You know, by April, May, I'm not very good at admin, admin, which, you know, Avril has had to deal with over the years. She can veto that. Um, <laughs> and when you're ready to pull your Excel files apart and hop your computer off the floor and la 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 and you get down to site and then you kind of, oh my God, there's people coming. Look at the tents. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But also when the bands go on stage, you greet them. You're, you know, it is like welcoming people to your party and you see all these fabulous Irish people there with their makeup mm. on and their friends and they're ready to just have this wonderful experience mm. is so gorgeous and it, it, it fuels you. It's I often akin it to having a baby, you know, you kind of you forget the pain of labor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and you're ready to do it. You know, you're ready to have another pregnancy. You're ready to go at it again. Yeah. It is amazing. And also for me or any of us that work, I mean, we work collectively on the music as well. Um, you know, you're looking at these names on on this program, and now it's it's like mm, the, yeah. Front of you, yeah, yeah, it's like the, this painting that comes to light. To There's light always a there. moment on yeah. um, on Thursday night. Thursday night's my favorite night because it's the night before we open and everything is in place. Everything's done. The lights are pointing the right way. The art is exactly where it needs to be. Well, it's like Christmas Eve. You know, it isn't is it? like Christmas so Eve. Everything is Christmas just so Day. beautiful. Yeah. And we always do a lighting test that night and a PA test. And then our main stage, we built it two years ago with a beautiful artist called Christy Collard. And it's a ginormous 16 meter by 11 meter wooden stage. It's like a giant cathedral, you know, semi-permanent cathedral. In the and you just stand there and you look at it and you think, these are all our friends. These are our collaborators. These, this isn't a, it's a business. Of course, it's a business. Yeah. It absolutely has to be successful in, mm -hmm. in its endeavors because it's a because it takes a giant a giant budget to pull off such a such a finely tuned party. But yeah. at the same time, it, when you look around and you see the sea of faces that are there that are part of creating this this experience for people to behold, um, that's where the magic lies for me. That moment just before we open, when we all look at one another and there's a glint in our eye, and we know that we've created something that's exceptional. Yeah. Um, that's a really amazing, and I don't mean exceptional like, wow, we're so incredible, but there's just such attention to detail in every facet of what we do that there's that moment of just, it's almost like opening up the doors to your own wonderland and saying, you know, welcome, yeah. come in. Wow, I was so pumped to go back and do work, but now I just want to run away to a festival, <laughs> like straight away. away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, June 21st to June 23rd in Ballinlock Castle, Body and Soul, 10 Years of Joy. I'm so excited to go. I can't wait. Avril and Jenny, thank you so thank much you. for coming thank in. You. And we'll see you in June. We'll see you in June. <laughs> Okay, so we are back with my guests this week. Keela Moncrief and Molly Parsons are here. We were talking a little bit about influencers earlier and I want to move on to something that you've both spoken about that you seem really passionate about and that is fashion um, and sustainable fashion in particular. But Molly, I want to kind of start with you because we were part of a panel there a while ago and I had followed you online. I knew about the podcast and I suppose... I knew that you had style from the pictures that you posted, but I didn't know the I didn't know what kind of style really. And then when you arrived, the outfit that you were wearing <laughs> to this panel discussion was just incredible. So the whole talk, Keelan, was about um, uh, the morning after pill and just about kind of sex and, and safe sex and what happens if something goes wrong and contraception, all this kind of good stuff. And the jacket you had, you had you'd had it like spray painted and there was tampons on it I and there was little gorge. pills. Yeah, I mean, it gorge. was amazing. It was such an amazing expression, I think. Um, and also like it hit the mark in terms <laughs> of what we were talking about. Yeah. So that was one of the moments that I was just like, oh, I hate my fucking <laughs> I was literally just like, I'm never going to be as cool as this <laughs> ever um but like obviously style is really important to you and and 
when did that kind of start for you? Has it always been something that you've had since you were growing up, like, or has your style evolved over time? So it's weird because I was like, like I was such a, my mom's actually a designer. Okay. So when I was a kid, I, I'd always be allowed to dress myself. So I'd like put every pattern together. I used to make my own hat every year for the, uh, for the horse show in the RTS. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, Molly. made out of like paper and stuff. And I'd be like, oh, I didn't win the that's best dressed woman. That's sustainable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did I'm you like, properly okay. like go up and queue? And yeah. And my mom, oh, my mom's actually so nice now that I think about it. She'd like go, the, obviously knowing that I'm not gonna win like I was like seven um yeah like it was like the highlight of my year and then um and it's weird because it's it's all intrinsically linked to Instagram like I got onto Instagram and I was in second year the second year yeah second year and um I don't know, like, I, I was like, oh, I need to be hot. Like, I need to be sexy and appeal to boys. Oh. And I need to oh, be the yeah. cool Every girl. Every girl goes through the what? stage. Yeah, okay. yeah so, mm. so then I just started wearing stuff that just wasn't me because I was like, oh, that'll make me look like I have boobs. Like, literally, at, like, I don't even have boobs now, so I certainly didn't have them then. Um, and just, you know, like, I was just wearing things that just so weren't me up until probably last year but if I was out with my family I'd wear something that was like really cool I was constantly buying off affiliated links okay because I'd see something on someone and think like oh loads of boys have liked that like everyone thinks she's hot so I'm gonna wear that and then um that's a crazy mind frame to have one. yeah like, well you have to like I like not when crazy you have, but no it's, no no it's, no, it's, no honestly like it's good I to hear you talk about it because yeah, a I, lot of girls may not admit to to feeling those kind of oh. things but like so you were heavily influenced oh like I was the definition of hashtag influenced like yeah. I <laughs> I I really was but also when you have um any sort of eating problems or mm. weight problems you're very very competitive of so course. you want to be it sounds horrible but this is just the reality of it like yeah. you want to be the hottest person in the room you want to be the skinniest person in the room and then as soon as I became comfortable in myself and got better I just started dressing how I want and now I feel like it's made me even more unapologetic because yeah. I'm never not going to be myself anymore. Yeah. Just like with that dress, like wearing dresses, like bloody tampons all over it and pills and like shame written across the chest. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like... But it was like, an art piece. So yeah, it was exactly. An expression was, yeah. in a piece as well. And also like Molly, the, the kind of... The person that you put out there, like you're so happy and approachable and welcoming. Like that was one of your words as well. So like when I saw you first, I was like, that's a really cool jacket. I didn't even really notice the bloody tampon because you just looked so happy. Do you know what I mean? And then when I looked, I was like, oh, there's a bloody tampon. That's amazing. Do you know? But like obviously clothes now is is very much like an, an expression of who you are. And that's kind of what you want to put out there. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, if I feel sad, I will... It sounds like really weird, but like I'll put together like such a cool outfit and I'll just like walk around my area. It makes me feel happy to like know I'm expressing myself. That's, if you get me, it's like, yeah, I get that too. If I walk around my old town where my school is, I'm like, ha I look so different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just laugh when I'm walking around. I'm like, oh, it's hilarious. It's great. <laughs> the power of fashion though, isn't yeah. it? Like how clothes can make you feel inside, which is, I mean, I think any woman who says that what how clothes make them feel doesn't affect them is different because you can be wearing one outfit one day and you can be wearing the exact same outfit the next day but like if it feels tighter or if or if you just don't feel it like mm. your whole mood can be affected oh, by that which is a crazy thing Keelan what about you how important is style to you and when I suppose the question is like when did you find your style what is your style so when I was growing up it's four siblings in the house I was the oldest of three girls 
So we had a lot of taking in a secondhand clothes mm -hmm. and all my little sisters would take my old clothes. So I was left with nothing. Yeah. So I had, this is when it's really started, the rummaging and just finding stuff. I had to make do with what I had. So I started um, dressing in my mom's clothes and she shops a lot in charity shops, loves a good find. Mm. And then I realized I actually preferred my dad's clothes. So then I got into like masculine silhouettes, yeah. um, wearing a lot of just like boy, boy clothes um, and boy shapes. So I was never into like the standard girl dress yeah. code really. And uh, when I was put in secondary school, it was like kilt and that was it. I was uh, like, I was felt oppressed. I was like, this is the worst ever. Yeah. So then I suppose when I got out of school, I really like amplified that. I was like, I'm going to be myself to the best of my abilities. So I love wearing color and I, um, I just love wearing loads of like clashing patterns and like whatever I want to. And uh, it's nice when you get feedback as well, because obviously the, I know you shouldn't be looking at your followers as a, like with a sense of approval, but mm. it's kind of like they respect me for being different. So yeah. it's making me feel better about Especially myself. Especially in Ireland, because like a lot of the influencers have a certain look, which yeah. is like amazing. And, and that's our personal style. Mm. But I think like you and me, like sometimes I'm, you are like very different to the other people who are like influencing in Ireland, like mm. your style. So it's nice when people say like, I really appreciate that there's someone like this on my feed. You know what I mean? It's definitely different. Like, I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about influencers in the first half and like, I think it's, it's not, like, I don't think it's unfair to say that a lot of their styles are quite similar. That is probably heavily influenced by the brands that they're representing mm. as well, like the, the certain types of clothes. And this kind of leads us into a little bit more of the sustainable fashion. Um, so like, you said that your mother obviously loves a charity shop and stuff mm. like that. So was that something that was really important to you from a young age, just kind of finding out where the clothes were coming from? Or was it more so just about like, well, this looks different than what all my sisters mm. are wearing when I go with this today? Um, I actually wasn't aware of sustainability up until I'd say half a year ago. Okay. Because it's not taught anywhere. No, no yeah. one speaks about it because, of course, like don't talk about it or else we won't make money anymore. That's yeah. the big thing. So, uh, but my mom was really... Re like loves being different. Like she likes being unique, and so I respect that from her as well. She always had real wacky glasses, has like a buzz cut and yeah. bleached hair, and she had pink hair for a while as well. So I think that's where I got it. <laughs> um, and I was always like, she always let me express myself. Always allowed bleach in my hair when I was really young, and I remember getting ridiculed by teachers, being like, "Your hair is gonna fall out," and I was like, "Still have more hair than you do." <laughs> <laughs> so I was, all, I always loved it. So then when I got into sustainability, and I already loved fash, um, vintage fashion yeah. and secondhand clothing, so it was easy for me in that way. But when I looked into sustainability, I found obviously a lot of girls don't want to buy secondhand. Mm -hmm. It's just not the style they're into, and I think that I give information every day and where you can get clothes that are sustainable and it's not secondhand. Like yeah. brands are bringing, like they're listening to what we're saying. Yeah. So like H&M even brought out a conscious range. Yeah. Because I think there is a little bit of confusion in that because like obviously there's, you know, a huge amount of like vintage stores around the country and, and that's <laughs> definitely something that's um, like up and coming. But then the word sustainable is now kind of really developing and I see a lot of young girls who are getting into it and, I, and there's some really amazing things that they're running now around Dublin. I'm not entirely sure about the rest of the country. I'm sure they are as well, but like they'll just go on kind of sustainable I suppose, like, bar crawls for yeah. clothes, basically, mm. which is great as well. But, like, what's the difference in terms of, like, sustainability? This is actually about the ecological impact of the materials that are used in the clothes, right? So mm -hmm. that's the difference, isn't it, between yeah. that and, like, just going to a secondhand store? Mm. Okay, yeah. Ecological impact and ethical impact as well. Yeah. So the people making the clothes and okay. where the clothes are coming from in that aspect, would yeah. you say? Yeah. And what was it that kind of 
six months ago you said that you kind of got into it more. What was it? Did you watch a documentary or...? Well, around two years ago I watched uh, The True Cost on Netflix and that's okay. more ethical. Yeah. And it's not really going into the, like, the, the carbon footprint or anything. Yeah, the actual but, waste. And, and I, was like <clears throat> I was already vegan, so I knew that I was reducing my carbon footprint by eating a vegan diet. Yeah. And then I, I think I watched a YouTube video or something and then I realised that clothing actually has a carbon, like, has an um, ecological impact on the world. Yeah. So that's when I made a huge change because, like, veganism is not something you do part-time. Mm. It's all the time. And I know that since sustainability is a trend now, people are saying, well, if you do it, you know, in moderation, but you're not going to, say, promote veganism and then sell a steak yeah. on your Instagram. It's not something you're going to do. So if you need to go sustainable, you have to do it fully and hands-on, especially because I have an influence. Yeah. I want to do it hands-on and say, like, give people the resources and teach them about it. And actually give them information as well. Yeah. And you can still keep your style. Yeah. And shop sustainably. So, so what exactly did you do then? Did you, like, do a proper cull on all of your clothes to kind of, like get them out and make sure that everything was sustainable. No. But that actually sounds counterintuitive. <laughs> oh, no. So I just definitely bought a whole not. new wardrobe. I think, I think that's what people think though. Like I saw someone um, the other day say, and no one's talking about like sustainable, like keeping of clothes. And that's probably true. Like, but I just kind of presume that people knew like, don't throw your clothes out, what you love, take care of. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the clothes that we buy from fast fashion brands, they are really bad quality yeah. because they're not made properly because they, the fact is there's kids making your clothes. Yeah. Um, so you learn to mend, learn to sew. Um, washing polyester is actually um, letting out microplastics into the water system as well. So wash your clothes less, I know. It and you can get guppy bags as well so that have you ever heard yeah, of that? Yeah. So it doesn't um, leach into the water. So yeah. they're like little bags. Like obviously this, like if you're a student, like, but like say if your mum at home is interested in doing this, um, there's these things, I think they're called guppy bags and they stop the polyester from releasing or they like keep it in this mm. bag, um, mm. the microplastics, and then you can dispose of it properly. But then a lot of, as well for, with influencers, they have a new outfit every day. You'd never be seen photographed in the same piece of clothing twice. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do on my Instagram, and this was actually really hard for me, is to wear the same outfit twice in one week. Mm. Yeah. And just change, like I've worn these jeans now like three three times this week, and that would be something I would never would have done six months ago. Yeah. I wouldn't be seen, because I obviously my outfits would be memorable, and I was obsessed that people would be like see, looking at me and saying, oh my God, she's wearing the same thing twice. So embarrassing. But it's so weird that people say that, isn't it? Because, like, I know, isn't it? You're one, um, oh, what's her name? What's her name? What's her name? Married to the Prince of England. Meghan Markle. Other one. Kate Middleton. Yes. Kate Middleton, like, wears a dress and then wears the same dress, like, four years later, and everybody goes, fucking crazy. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh my God, she wore the same thing. It's so Isn't bizarre. she fantastic? Like, look at her, recycle queen of the world. I'm like, sorry, it's just like, what's the same queen? Yeah. It's like, oh God, literally. Four, four years later. Um, and I just imagine her, like, I always, whenever I see a piece like that, I'm just like, imagine her walking through her closet and going, well, it's been four years. Yeah. I, I doubt that they'll notice. And everybody does. I think that there are some people whose job is solely just to follow mm. when Kate Middleton wears something twice. But it all becomes this whole thing of like why can't we wear I'm I'm completely guilty of it like on my grid with all my thousands of followers um, <laughs> like I swear to god I would think about the fact that like if I wear something twice mm. what will they 
think. Like, I, yeah. people people will say that. And it's not just with clothes. That's actually with, like, landscape shots and, like, random things. Yeah, I'm just like, no, well, absolutely. you want your grid to be, like, aesthetically pleasing. But that's that's bullshit. Like, mm. why are we washing our clothes? And to be honest with you, I'm not washing my clothes that much. No. I'm just not wearing them that often, mm. do you know? Or I'm, like, trying to give it a week and give it another mm, week yeah. just so that people don't talk about me as, as the girl who wears the same clothes all the time. But, like, that's the mindset that probably is something people can do straight away to change it, you know? Mm -hmm. How did sustainability become important to you, Molly? I'd say, so I was always very aware of it. My granny and my mum, like, always chopped. My mum actually was an NCAD head and she, like, always went to shop in charity shops and um, she actually, like, she would be probably more knowledgeable on it than I am. So she actually used to give out to me, but I was, like, a teenager, like, like whatever mom and then um, and then yeah like I'm also vegan but I don't know I just also like couldn't deny it to myself anymore I was like okay if I'm gonna have not that I hadn't even bought anything in ages because I was trying to do this thing where for like two months I, I didn't buy anything and see yeah. how it like affected my mi mind yeah. and I noticed that I was like getting so desperate like getting like so panicked and anxious when I saw something that I liked on uh, whether it be Instagram or on like a brand I was about to name a brand I was like probably shouldn't do that it's okay. uh, <laughs> and then um yeah and then I was just like yeah I it was just like I can't do this anymore I can't preach um you know, n like mental health and all this, when I know my clothes are being made by people in horrific conditions yeah. who are probably really, really struggling. And um, so I just was like, okay, let's just try it out. Um, and I have found that I've developed my personal style much more than when I was shopping, like binge shopping, yeah. getting things that I didn't even want. Now I have to look for things. Like, for instance, I really wanted... Um, like, I, I love these floaty skirts. Yeah. I found this in the Irish Cancer Society um, shop in Dunleary. And I had to look for one of these for ages, like, constantly. It was only, like, three euro. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, you're going out and you're finding things that you really, really love. If this tore, I would fix it. Whereas, like, I, in the past, I would have just thrown it out mm. and yeah. gotten something else. So I, I just think that, like, it's been an organic, like interest in me like I've I've heard about it from since I was young but it wasn't as like instant as Keelan's but now it's something that I'm it's so important yeah. to me I think you know the reason why I think some people might be confused by the whole sustainable fashion well first off like you know it is popular now it's definitely a trend and I think that that's a good thing because it's an important thing but at the same time you know is it fair that maybe young people are thinking about the bigger picture and they're thinking about the fact that like the same thing when we talk about climate change sometimes people aren't arsed because it's not going to affect them in their lifestyle you know like I, I was reading up on this and I was looking at some of the stats and there's crazy amounts of waste that comes from garments like literally like mm. the clothes that we have like jeans something mental like it's a ton a minute yeah like it's ridiculous I saw this one stat of like there's 40,000 square kilometers like which is bigger than Switzerland just filled with jeans in landfills around the world and Haiti is just all garments it's all materials and mm. textiles I mean so is it is it about raising awareness is it about uh, like telling them what they can do on a smaller scale but also like letting them know that this probably is going to affect us in mm. our life. Like, it, it is actually really damaging the earth, the earth like. Mm. And I don't think that's a dramatic thing to say, is No, it's it? not at all. It's, like, actually really a pop 
apocalyptic. <laughs> like it's really no, scary. especially Ireland, the little island. We will be underwater. Yeah. Like we are going to be. Effect- <laughs> We're an island. Yeah, we are going to be underwater. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Keelan, just like kind of to wrap it up, I suppose. And and again, like I know that you're talking to your followers about it and stuff, and you talk about your fashion a lot as well. What are the real things that people can do, like tomorrow, for example, if they if they watch this and they think, you know, what, I need to be more conscious about what I'm wearing. I need to be more conscious about what I'm buying. Don't do what I said. Don't throw all your clothes away. <laughs> Christ's sake, those landfills. But, but like, what is it that they can do that maybe might be a, like dipping their toe into learning about sustainability? Um, so I wouldn't say, the more extreme would be stop shopping. Yeah. But I'd say just shop different. Right. Think about before you buy something. It's conscious consumerism. So just think for me. I sleep before I buy something now. But from working in retail, you know, you just everything's so instant. I'd just be like, on my lunch break, buying a few tops. So just think about something. So you before, sleep on it? Yeah, I always sleep before I buy something. Oh, wow. Always. It's, it's like, like taking a nap yeah, I'm just in like, the middle of town. <laughs> no, okay. but I, I work in a vintage shop now. So I'm just like, give me all the clothes. Yeah. Because you need to feel that. Because it's an addiction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes you feel something. It's like how they always say that you shouldn't shop for food when you're hungry. Yeah, because mm. it, it, like endorphins are released when you shop. So <sighs> I lo- I'm not going to deny, obviously I love shopping, but if yeah. I'm shopping differently, I'm I'm not feeling that guilt then when I'm shopping as well because shopping in vintage and charity shops is fun for me. And um, But I also get to express myself and get different pieces and be different to everyone else. So Yeah, that's yeah. a really good piece of advice. Shop different. So yeah. don't like stop shopping, but shop different. And also I was online and I found the Fashion Transparency Index, which came about mm-hmm. like a few years after that awful thing that happened in uh, in Bangladesh in 2013. So that basically has a list of brands and we're not going to name them, but they've rated them. So there's a low rating, there's low middle, there's high middle, and then there's top rating. So that's like, well, what I think is a great thing is like H&M is right there at the top. Like they're doing incredible things when it comes to it. So Because the true cost brought to light all the, what they were doing. So. Exactly. If we do bring it to light, changes exactly. will happen. Yeah, and, and so like that's not if people are thinking, oh well, Jesus, this is one of those things, and it's going to be so expensive to be sustainable. It's like, no, it's, no, it's that's a that's it's, an argument that a lot of people. It's use. a weird misconception. No, it's it's it, like a lot of people shop in charity shops to get their clothes for cheaper. Yeah, like it's really really cheap to shop in and charity it's shops. Donating to charities as well, yeah. so you're literally yeah. helping as a whole way better. Mm. So shopping different is something that people can do. Molly, what would be like a piece of advice that I, you would give? I, I think Keelan's was really, really good. Like, think about things before you buy. But I would also say if if you do continue to shop in fast fashion retailers, try it on, think about it. It's going to be available tomorrow. That's, like, one of the benefits of yeah. fast fashion. And if you really, <laughs> really want it and you... It's it's shop different, but if you have if you're going to do it if you're going to do sustainability gradually, like mm. you have to think about what you're buying. Don't yeah. just buy something because it's seven euro and you might wear it um, tomorrow night and then you'll never wear it again. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that's very very wasteful and it's also damaging to your mental health. Yeah. Um, and harming people who in the making of your clothes. Yeah. And I know from going veganism, obviously you're more empathetic to animals, but what about people that are actually yeah, suffering humans. from? from a garment because you got it for two euro and you're chuffed about it when people are actually being hurt from making it. Yeah, I think it would, I think it would benefit everybody if they kind of, you know, went and looked at the things that you guys have done online when when you're talking about it. You've got some great like wardrobe uh, reviews, I suppose, Mm -hmm. where you kind of bring people in. Well, I saw the coat one anyway. Mm -hmm. And then halfway through, you were like, look, I'm going to have to break this up because (laughs) there's just too many coats. I was going to do my whole wardrobe and I was like, wait a minute. I have so much stuff. Yeah. So, um, So yeah, it's really important to just kind of learn about what we're doing and not don't 
fall into that whole like hashtag something brand name hun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can think about it and be like a little bit more. Hashtag sustainable queen. Yeah. Yes. Hashtag. That is the hashtag. That we're making it. Oh my God, it started now. <laughs> Trend number one in Ireland. I can hear it. I'll text my dad. Hashtag <laughs> sustainable queen. Well, I think I found the name of this episode. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, but guys, before I wrap up, before I let you go, what's coming up next for you guys? So Molly, obviously Molly's Minutes is going from strength to strength. Um, also go and it's on YouTube as well as all the kind of podcasts. Yeah, it's apps. on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Everything like that. And Keelan is your guest this week as well. Yes. So and go and check week, it out. Next week, it's probably going to be out I don't know when you air these, but it's probably going to be out when you air this. Um, I am have sexshopper.ie. Oh, nice. Um, she's, so she's been on this show before. Yeah, she, she's incredible. Shauna Scott Shauna. is incredible. Yeah. And we just talk everything sex. And I actually think it's like the most beneficial podcast I've ever done. Sorry, Keelan, but like I honestly do. <laughs> no, I need to learn. Teach me the ways. I don't know how to sex. Oh, I love Shauna. She's so open and she's so honest. And yeah. she really just like, I love her story as mm. well. I love her story. The way how like when she came to Ireland, she was just like, hang on. What's happening? <laughs> yeah. Why why aren't women talking yeah. about sex? It's crazy. Like, why are the sex Our shops like dungeons? Yeah. yeah. Dungeons. Dungeons. Yeah, yeah I mean, now, my sister was watching a friend film last night and she was like, they're so open about sex. And I was yeah. like, this is what it's supposed Our to be. Our generation like. is worse, I think. Mm. I actually do think that. But yeah. anyway. But yeah, so let's, let's not step on that one. <laughs> Find out everything on Sex Shopper. Um, and then, yeah, so you're just going to continue to do this? Yeah, continue to do this. Um, I am planning an event with Tara Stewart, the DJ oh, as well. Oh, she's been on the show as well. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> so a small um, country. That is coming up soon, and hopefully we can re release those details. But yeah, just doing my podcast and seeing what happens. Amazing. Well, I love it. And congratulations on Thank the podcast. You. It's absolutely awesome. Keelan, what about you? Um, so I have a video coming out on Monday about how I want to see changes in the second level education system. So I can't even speak. And uh, so I'm actually looking into changing the education system. I think I could do it. You do it. I'm going to do it. Absolutely. So. And it is, like, when you say changing the, the education system, it's about career paths more yeah. so than anything, isn't it? It's, it's the teaching information. people more about life and to be more understanding and tolerant of other types of people. Okay. Because I never had a class on LGBTQ plus communities. Right. So something like that that's implemented into or schools. sex ed. For, and sex, sex ed. Yeah. For, oh, yeah, as well. Sex for, ed is heteronormative. Yeah. And it doesn't focus in any way aside from that, even though it's heteronormative on female pleasure, mm. even that's another thing. Yeah, so we're, we're actually doing a pleasure month on her.ie soon where we're talking about <laughs> every, we're talking about <laughs> everything to do with pleasure and the female orgasm being like a big aspect of Woo! it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, that's incredible. I can't wait to see what you do with all of that. Yeah, so, so you'll be seeing a few strikes from me with the pickets. With the pickets. It'll be so good. Oh, my God, the outfits at that. It'll be so good. Amazing. Well, listen, Keela Moncrief and Molly Parsons, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Um, we're going to have to wrap up. I've just run out of time. So also Avril and Jenny of Body and Soul, thank you so much for coming in as well. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe and all that on all of the podcast apps. I'm Neve Mart, and we will chat to you next week.